Welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore. And we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at yourdestiny.church. We love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what he is doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message. And so on the screens right now, you'll see a remarkable verse in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Uh, we'll come back when you sit down in just a moment. You can look at it in more detail. And I want to actually extrapolate what it says in just a phrase, just a phrase. It's a hyphenated word, compound word. I'm not sure what to call it. I've highlighted that word if you'll read that out loud. But it says this. And by the way, if you're new to the whole church thing, if you're new to the Word of God, wonder why we value and esteem this book so much, this is a great passage. You're in the right place at the right time on this rainy day. Because look what the Bible says. This verse is so remarkable. This is the Bible defining the Bible. This is the Scripture self-defining. It says, and the Word of God is living and active. Let me stop right there. What does that mean, the Lord, Word of God is living and active? I'm not exactly sure, but my guess is, it's when you come to Destiny and Pastor Stephen stands up to preach, and like 12 minutes into the sermon, you're like, <laughs> you're thinking, who told him? Yeah. Who? Man, Destiny Church has, has hacked my email. They're, they're stalking me. My wife called them and told them because it feels like the message was just for you. Yeah. That's because there's a dynamic to Scripture. It's this divine love there that God is trying to get a message right to you. Where the Bible's not just powerful, it'll be personal. Where the Word of God is living and active, ready? And sharper than any, come on, four o'clock, a little louder. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I love that. It's, it's, and pierced as far as the vision of soul and spirit, both Jordan to marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hey, listen, let's, let's pray and jump right into this. Father God, it is my prayer that you truly would speak to us. This would not be just an afternoon religious routine. These folks have come through this weather to hear from God. So, Father, I pray you just leave me out of the equation. Use me as a vessel. I want to be a text message. You speak right to your people. We've come to hear, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be corrected. Father, speak in Jesus' name. And finally, finally, we want to give thanks for my Miami Dolphins who have graciously granted a victory to both the Baltimore Ravens and the Washington Redskins. In Jesus' name, and God's people loudly said together, Amen. would you high-five three people around you and tell them, you're looking good. Have you been working out? Have you been taking Pilates? Go to the CrossFit box, eating organic, and take your seats. Make yourselves comfortable, just not too comfortable. Find your Bibles if you brought one. Turn your Bible on or open your Bible up to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I love this intriguing verse. Thank you for being here, by the way. Thank you for braving the rain. Thank you, worship team, man. Worship team is y'all sneak away. Gosh, what great worship. And speaking of the weather, so I'm from South Florida, and uh, man, we do hurricanes in Miami. We do, I mean, cat three, cat four hurricanes, we take on like Spartan warriors. But if it's colder than 60 degrees, we don't leave our houses. If it's raining, we stay home, we skip work, and we surely skip church. So thank you for being here today. Hebrews chapter 4. And I love this great text as the Bible self-defines. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged, two-edged, say it again, ready? Two-edged sword. I love my brother's Bible calls itself a sword. It's, it's, it's not a feather to tickle your spiritual fancy. It's not a back scratcher to scratch your intellectual itch. It is a spiritual sword. 
It's a weapon to wield with precision. It's a powerful tool in the hands of a man or woman of God. But I love that disclaimer, that qualifier. It's not just any kind of sword. It's a two-edged or double-edged sword. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this. Here's the reason why. Question, please answer out loud. Has your Bible ever confused you? Raise your hand if your Bible's ever confused you. Raise your hand, raise your hand, almost every hand. And if your hand is not up, it just means you haven't read your Bible very much. Because sometimes, <laughs> oh, Kimmy, now I love the Word of God. I cherish the Word of God. I'm, I'm older than your pastor. I mean, I've read the Bible for a long time. But sometimes my Bible confuses me. I mean this, I read something in one place in the Bible, and it seems to clearly say this. Then I turn to a second place in the Bible, and I believe the Bible is God's inspired word. I believe in something called the inerrancy of Scripture. It's holistically trustworthy. You can trust every part. But the second part of the Bible seems to say something very unlike the first part. It almost seems like the Bible's contradicting itself. In fact, even in the same passage, you can have two Christians of equal passion and equal intelligence. And one reads that one passage, and they interpret it way over here. And the second reads the same exact passage, a person of equal intelligence and passion, and they land way over here. And it seems like the Bible is in conflict with itself or a contradiction. It seems like that until God inspired the anonymous author of Hebrews to write in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 12, that the Bible is a sword, but not any kind of sword. It's what kind of sword? It's a two-edged sword. And what's a two-edged sword does? It cuts this way. But with equal ease, it cuts the other way. And I think because the Bible is not just a good book, it's literally a God book. Meaning we don't worship our Bible, we revere our Bible. God speaks to us through his word first and foremost. I think we recognize that some truth about God is so big, it's not one or the other, it's both. That the word of God cuts both ways. These truths, this idea, they're not in contradiction. They complement and complete each other. Sometimes in life, the best answer is not A or B, it's both. It's both. When I say three, would you loudly shout the word both? Ready? One, two, three. Both. I mean, do you love your wife or do you love your children? Both, right? Would you like the filet or the lobster? I'd like both, right? Sometimes the right answer is both. Let me show you how this principle fleshes out in Scripture, how the Bible is a double-edged sword. There are divine dualities in Scripture. Sometimes it's both. It's not a contradiction. It's complementary. It completes each other. Okay, how about an example? Let's go hit close to home. Destiny Church. The moment you walk in the door, if you're here like me and this is your first weekend, there's an unmistakable, unapologetic cool factor to this church. I mean, y'all are just cool, right? You're just cool. This Number one, this is a very good-looking church. Look around. There's some nice-looking people in this church. You look good. You dress good. The environments are cool. The worship is cool. Y'all are cool. I mean, the hospitality ministry is cool. The lady out there, young lady out parking cars in the rain, she's very cool. But your pastors, Pastor Zai, Pastor Stephen, they are so cool. Yeah, I know they're gifted. I know they're godly. I know they're compassionate. But they're just cool, aren't they? They're just, they're just cool. I don't have much cool going. My kids tell me, Dad, you don't have a lot of cool. But, man, they, they, they got it. Pastor Stephen, uh, his clothes. Let's just enjoy what he can wear. His sense of couture and style, he, he is so cool. In fact, I took a screenshot of what he was wearing on the stage last week. Here was the outfit your pastor was rocking online last week. Look, ready? Give me that picture if you would, guys. Look at, look at that. Who but Pastor <laughs> Stephen Chandler can wear that? I mean, make it look so good, that retro Letterman jacket and those amazing kicks. And just talk about the pants. Those pants are phenomenal, the plaid pants with the high cut and 
Like, not, not anybody can just wear that. That takes a, a cool person to make that look like, right? Like me, know your lane, middle-aged white guy. No, in fact, what would it even look like? It might look something like, do you guys have an idea what that could look like? Yeah, see, that's just, that's pathetic. That's just sad. Maybe if I had the glasses. What if I had the Stephen Chandler cool glasses? Maybe the glasses, even the glasses don't make it work, right? Got to know your lane. Got to know your lane. Please get rid of that because you can't unsee that. I apologize. That's going to be an image. But listen, so you may walk in with the church. I, I mean, this is a total compliment, but it's, it's, it's so cool. If you're new, you might walk, oh, hey, there's a bunch of, cool and flash, probably lack substance. So here's the first thing. Can you be cool and have content? Can you be cool and have content? Can you be cool and have substance? Can you be cool and be very biblical at the same time? Which should it have to be? I think the right choice is both. I would choose both. I believe with all my heart you can do both. I love the way you present. I love the spiritual packaging of this church without compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if you think somehow that cool is essentially shallow, listen to Pastor Stephen preach for about three and a half minutes and watch him wear out a text. Watch him take the word of God and break it down and make it so relevant and true in your life. You can be both cool and have rich content. Why choose? Be sensational and substantial. The right answer is be, say with me, both. Come on, four o'clock. Be both. Be both. My, my church talks back to me, by the way. I have one of those rowdy talk back to me. My church doesn't even understand rhetorical questions. They answer all questions out loud. How about this one? How about this one? Here's, a, here's a, one of those parallel ideas. Um, who wants success? Make some noise if you want success in your life. Come on. Yeah. And all the smart people are making noise right now. We want you know, advancement. We want momentum. We want to see progress. And we all want success. So if you or I have success in my life, it is is that my hard work or is that God's blessing? Is that, is that spiritual or is it practical? Is it spiritual or practical? Right answer would be what? Would be it's, it's both. It's obviously both. I believe in divine favor. I believe there is a God. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He made you. He loves you. has a purpose for your life. He would love to get all up in your life in, in beautiful and wonderful ways. I mean, he'd love to get so involved in your life and favor you, share his generosity with you, give you divine momentum. I think that's the heart of God. At the same time, I believe God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. And only after we have done what God's called us to do for ourselves, then he steps and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Simply said, you must provide the sufficient sanctified sweat to secure your success. So we work and God blesses. By the way, work is a gift from God. All the lazy people hate this part of the sermon, but stay with me. Let me show you a verse. I just went through Genesis 1 and 2 with my people the last few months, and uh, I found something in Genesis chapter 2 that's remarkable. Now, you might think work was something that happened after sin, after the fall, after Adam ate the apple, right? That's Genesis chapter 3. But back in chapter 2 right now, verse 15 on the screen, it says this. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to, to work it. Work's a gift from God. But David, you haven't seen my job. They don't appreciate me. I'm stuck in this small cubicle. They, they, don't, they don't value me. They don't surely pay me enough. I, I, I get it. But get so good at your work, you're way more valuable than what they pay you. Because if you get that good, you're more valuable than what they pay you. They'll start to pay you more or somebody else will. Work is a gift from God. In Jesus' name, work it. By the way, for all the single brothers in the house, God gave Adam a job before God gave him a woman. Just no extra charge for that. Is it practical or is it spiritual? Is it my hard work or God blessing my hard work? It is both. 
What God is doing at this church is purely spiritual. All glory for all good in the church goes to Jesus. But he's leveraging the fact that you guys as a team work so hard and work so smart. It is both. Another example of this, this duality, this two-edged sword. Um, generosity. Generosity. The Bible teaches throughout the scripture as people of faith were called to be habitually, radically generous. Yeah, nothing. Don't you love it when the guest speaker guy comes in and talks about generosity for a moment? I know it's... That's awkward, but just, just listen for a moment. And by the way, if you don't like hearing when the preacher talks about generosity or giving, a couple of thoughts. Number one, it's throughout the scripture. That idea, it's a pervasive economic ethic. It's Old Testament, it's New Testament. We are called as God's people, as redeemed people, to be habitually, wonderfully generous. And if you resist that, listen, I get it. I'm not, I'm not here judging. You're probably wired like me. When it comes to finances, I am what you would call frugal, conservative, my wife, Lisa, says, cheap, whatever it is, tomato, tomato. <laughs> and so this is a hard area for me. Now, she is a very generous person by nature. In fact, some of you guys, you're, you're generous by nature. In fact, just survey. This is not to brag. All glory to God. If you're kind of naturally wired to be generous, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. We may want to borrow money. So anyways, raise your hand. That's good. All right, awesome. Uh, okay, so you're, you're naturally generous. Others, I won't have you raise your hand, but this is a hard area for you. Now, if that's you, this area is one that you don't deal with well, you're probably like me. So I'm not judging you. Listen, just when it comes to generosity, the resistance is this. It's your, it's your hang-up. And every Christian has at least one hang-up. Normally we have several hang-ups. By the way, all the generous people, you have a hang-up, right? Yeah. Right? You have, it's not generosity, but you have a hang-up. Y'all got quiet on me. Raise your hand if you have at least one hang-up. Raise your hand. Everybody in the room, raise your hand. And if your hand's not up, your hang-up is lying in church. <laughs> so nobody's here to judge you. It's just an area of resistance in your life. But the Bible teaches we're called to be generous. So I, why? So what's the best motivation? Is it obedience? Because it is baseline Christianity 101 obedience. Or is it blessing? Is it obedience or blessing? Which one is it? I think the right answer, probably both. They're both taught in the scripture. So as a Christian, Old Testament, New Testament, I am commanded by my God to be generous. And also, here's the reason why your pastor from time to time needs to teach on the idea of generosity. Some of the most powerful promises of God his willingness to bless us are attached to the faith action step of generosity. When I release resources into the kingdom, when I release resources into the church of Jesus Christ, then afterward God promises to bless. And your pastor would do you a disservice not to share these great promises. Let me, let me share just one. If I had time, I, I could share a bunch. There's a plethora of these promises, but we'd be here till Tuesday. Let me show you just one. This one's found in the New Testament. It's Luke chapter 6. The speaker, by the way, in this one is Jesus. Wow. So ratchet up the credibility as high as it can possibly go. King Jesus is about to make us a promise. So uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 is on the big screen. Now highlight the first word. Read the first word when I say three. Really loudly, please. Ready? One, two, three. Give. Great reading. Give. Now listen. I'm a Christ follower. This could be a one-word verse. And I'm in right here's the king who died for me here's the one who went to calvary because i'm jacked up here's the one who forgives me every single day here's the one who loves me in spite of what i do in who i am i would i would do anything for my king and my king commands me to give and by the way i'm not a greek scholar when the original greek there's something called a linear tense verb means not just one time act of giving but give and continue to give make it action because god blesses yes individual habits but he blesses, blesses disciplines so though david though you're you're frugal and <laughs> conservative cheap Get outside yourself and give. So my king has obedience, 
called me to give, called me to give, right? Called me to give. And if that was the end of the verse, it'd be remarkable. But it's not. Why? Because Jesus is so wonderful and God is so generous. And, and, and so he makes a promise after that. And, and why is he making the promise? Well, because he, he's so resourced. Maybe you're a generous person. God's more resourced than you, right? The Bible says our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, it doesn't resonate for me either, my church, because we live in the city too. Uh, no cows. He owns the Escalades on a thousand lots. <laughs> and look what this resource generous God promises. Give, and it will be given to you, period. Okay, even if it's the end of the verse, wonderful, proportional giving and receiving. If I give God a hundred, I, I get a hundred. If I give God a thousand, I get, right? But it's not proportional because God is way more richly resourced than I am. Look at the lavish language in this promise that Jesus makes. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, come on, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Question, does Jesus ever lie? ever embellish, exaggerate for effect? No! So if you're like me, are you living under the tyranny of a self-imposed micro-recession because you're not trusting God in this area? So question, what's the best reason to give? Obedience or blessing? The right answer is? Actually, it's a trick question. That's not the right answer this time. Those are great answers. They're biblical. But I actually think the best reason to give and be generous, no matter whether you're wired that way or not, love. Love. Just, just think, just think. Grown-up people, have you found in life that everything and everyone you love cost you money? Can I just say, is that, is that too unspiritual? I'm just mean everything, everyone. I love, I really love them, cost me money. I'm going to put a picture right now on the screen to my family. Here's my family. Here's my three kids. Charlie is my 19-year-old. He's, he's my young, young pastor in training. He's going to college and Seminary at the same time, great kid, loves the Lord. That's his sister, Victoria. She's cute and she's smart. She's a freshman, also a great kid, loves God. That uh, little one's my, my fourth grader as, as associate pastor, Zane Michael. He's a ton of fun. We had him a little later in life. We raised him like he's our grandkid. Um, <laughs> as Rev the Wonder Dog, and that's Lisa, right? So that's, that's my family right there. And my kids are awesome. They are good kids. They're not perfect kids, but they're good kids. But listen, they cost me so much money. <laughs> Parents, parents, I got two kids in private college at the same time. Tuition, room and board, extracurriculars, Chick-fil-A, <laughs> Starbucks. Oh, they cost me so much money. That little guy is growing like a weed right now. New clothes every 15 minutes. They insist on eating three times a day. They cost me so much money. Two of them are drivers. I'm insuring them. They're under 21 in the state of Florida. They cost me so much money. But never one time did I ever think, you know, hey, if we just eBay one kid. <laughs> never. Why? You just you pay all the money because why? Because you love your kids. You get it. They, they go together. Love and finances, they're inextricably linked together. And it's, not, it's not just your family. It's anything you love. Who has a hobby? Raise your hand if you have a hobby. Raise your hand if you have a hobby. Some of y'all don't have a hobby. It's why you're stressed out. Get a hobby. Hobbies are awesome. <laughs> but if you have a hobby you love, my hobby is saltwater fly fishing. I love to fish. I live in a great place if you're a fisherman. I fish all the time. But if you have a hobby like me that you love your hobby, it costs you money, right? It costs you money. You spend all, I spend all kinds of money on my gear, on my guides. I, I, I might mention how much because Lisa's not in the service, but uh, I spend a lot of money on my hobby. You do too. So it's hobbies. It's your kids. But it's anything. Any pet people in the house? Who's a pet person? Who? Pet. Woo! Come on, pet people. You're being quiet. Let me see if I can uh, drill down. Any dog people in the house? 
wait a minute, I can't let dog people off that easy. If you're truly a dog person, when I say three, I want you to bark loudly. Here we go, ready? Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> dog people, you love your dog. Any cat people, any cat people, any cat people, really? Cat people, why? Why cat? I don't even understand cats. I don't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Cats are biblical. Judas had a cat. All right, let's go. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm really just kidding. He had two cats. No, I'm just kidding. Just stop. Stop. Uh, uh, how, about, how about a weird pet? Who has an exotic pet? Who has like a ferret or who has a, a snake or who has like, you know, I don't know, some kind of unusual pet. You're afraid to acknowledge that. I had, I had a parrot back in the day. We had a beautiful eclectus parrot. Her name is Ruby. It's been, my big kids were little kids. And the uh, whole family loved Ruby. And so um, it always happens to pastors on the weekend. Our weekends when we're like on and that's when things blow up, right? If you're in ministry, it always happens on the weekend. So this time our church was in our old building. We were doing seven weekend services live. I do two on Saturday night. And so I came in after the two. We walk home and here, I think I have a picture of Ruby the parrot. Do you have Ruby? Maybe not. Oh, there she is. All right, so, so Ruby's not up on her perch. She's laying on the bottom of her cage and she's rolling around and writhing and then she threw up. I didn't know birds could throw up. She threw up. And so we Google the symptoms, and sure enough, she's a really sick bird. Like, oh, my gosh. And there's this vet in the area, 24-hour intake. They take exotic pets. And, and my wife, my wife Lisa says, I'll take her. I'll take her. Look, you got to work tomorrow. The services. What a wonderful woman. And so we've got all this family drama, parents. And the, the little kids are so upset. They're crying. Is Ruby going to die, Daddy? Is Ruby going to die? I'm like, I don't know. We'll pray for Ruby. I don't know. And, and here's the beloved family pet going out the front door in a little tiny travel cage. Lisa's going to be the hero. And, and my kids, all this drama. Kids are crying. I'm upset. Lisa's upset. But then my wife asked me a shocking question. I cannot believe this inappropriate question. With all this pain, all this suffering, walking out the door, my wife asked me this question. She whispers, how much? Now, if you're not laughing, you don't have a pet <laughs> because vet bills can be crazy expensive. We had friends of ours pay $15,000 in vet bills for their dog. At that point, doesn't the Bible say all dogs do go to heaven and just, just... <laughs> how much? I couldn't believe she asked me that. Your kids are crying. It's the family pet. It's like, I couldn't believe she asked me that question. Also, I could not believe I did have a number. I thought, oh... Yeah, uh, how much, how much? So I whispered, here's my number, like, shh, so the bird wouldn't hear, shh, here's my number. My number was here, her number was there, and she countered with this one. I can't, we met in the middle somewhere, and thank goodness the bill did not exceed that, or it would have been bye-bye birdie. <laughs> now, why tell you that story? Here's why. So we loved the parrot. We really loved the parrot, but because we had a number, it obvious was, obviously was a limited love, right? We had a number. But let me take that illustration and just, just turn it a little bit. Pretend it, it, it's not the bird, it's one of my three kids. Going out the same front door, very sick, on a gurney, and the EMT says, Mr. Hughes, how much? Parents, do you have a number? No. Like, how much? All of it? Here's my debit card, here's my PIN number, take it all. Right, anything in the house you want, take, cars, the yours. Second mortgage, got it. Take the house. I live in a single wide. I live under a bridge, that's my kid. I don't have a number. See, listen to me. If you're like me and when the pastor brings up finances, you're like, it's your hang-up. I get it. But it's not a money thing. It's a love thing. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue for you. That's why in spite of yourself, you need to trust God, say a prayer, take a breath, and start to give. I mean, good, good night. You're going to sponsor this new campus coming up. It's a perfect time to be generous. 
uh, what God is doing. You're taking a big offering in December. Whose birthday is it in December? You act like you're not sure. If someone asks you a question <laughs> in church and you don't know the answer, always guess Jesus. You'll be right nine times out of ten. So just for the record, in December it is when we celebrate Jesus' birthday, all right? So it's Jesus. And the funny thing is, and it's a season of wonderful generosity, but we, we treat Jesus often as an afterthought. We're generous with each other. Think about this. What, what, is, what is your name? Angela. That's the most simple name I've heard all day. Thank you. It's a beautiful name. Uh, Angela, say the whole world celebrated your birthday. Your birthday was a global celebration because you're such a big deal. What's your birthday? June 14th. June 14th. We're all going to celebrate June 14th. It's Angela Day. Right? Angela, what's your favorite color? Favorite color? Sky blue. So we decorate our homes in sky blue on Angela Day, June 14th. Man, it's a big deal. We get really excited. We have an Angela tree in the corner of our house. I don't know what that looks like. Angela tree is sky blue. It's this huge monumental. We have a meal, a giant Angela meal on June 14th. What's your favorite food? We all have Chinese food to honor Angela on her birthday. And Angela actually shows up at your house on June 14th. Is that amazing? On Angela Day, Angela comes to your house. The house is decked out in sky blue decorations with the Angela tree. And then you have this beautiful meal of Chinese food, Chinese food. And then you have a moment right there of beautiful generosity. And you give gifts to each other. Beautiful gifts. And ignore Angela. It's exactly what we do on Christmas with Jesus. Or give Angela a little, little afterthought. Oh, here, here, here's what's left. It's his birthday. Okay, I'll move on. I'll move on because I spent too much time on this. But, you know, the best reason to give, obedience, yeah. Blessing, oh, yeah. Love. And in the moments I have remaining here, uh, let me just tackle this one. It's kind of a doctrinal thing. So if you've never given your heart to Christ, greatest decision you'll ever make. To give yourself to King Jesus by faith. You can do that today, by the way. Oh my gosh, the Bible promises you receive forgiveness, freedom, you're accepted by God, you're qualified for heaven. So in a few moments, we'll show you how to do that. A simple salvation prayer can change everything. Most brilliant decision, by the way, Destiny Church, great job leading people to Christ. The hundreds who've been saved in recent months. What you're doing, inviting people and praying for people, what your team is doing, presenting compelling ministries and worship and preaching. God is using all that. When people are saved, heaven rejoices. But here's my question. When someone accepts Christ, when someone chooses Christ, do we choose Jesus or does Jesus choose us? Does God do the choosing or do we do the choosing? Because the Bible actually describes both. There's some passages that clearly says that God chooses us. He, he chose you before the foundation of the earth. At the same time, the Bible presents free will and autonomy. So the theologians would say it this way. Is there something called election, God choosing, or is it free will? Do we choose or does God choose? The right answer would be, it's both. And you're like, but that makes no sense at all. How can it be both? I don't know. But it's all in the scripture. And this is not just an issue for the theologians and pastors and Bible scholars to wrestle with. This has some real life implications for Christ followers. Because there's some things that Jesus called us to do to be busy with. That meant how we do this or if we do this really hinges on how you see this issue. Like, um... But last two verses in Matthew's gospel are famous verses called the Great Commission. Uh, it's on the screen right now. Look what Jesus said to do. It's right before he goes to heaven. End of his three-year ministry. After the cross. After the empty tomb. He says, go therefore and make more disciples. Say, this is too good to keep to yourselves. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. By the way, I've highlighted the word. Teach them to observe all I commanded you. And lo, I am with you. I just highlight that because I, I love that, that promise. I don't know everything it means, but I love he promises if I'm doing this to be with me always to the very end of the age. 
And so how we see this idea, do, do people choose or does God choose or it somehow is it, is it both? It seems like a contradiction. How could it be both? Affects how and if you do this. And if Jesus said this one time, you had to be authoritative. But he said things like this a bunch. In fact, back up three years before at the start of his ministry, enticing disciples, uh, exactly 24 chapters exactly to the left, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, enticing James and John to follow him. Look what he says. I love the language. He says the same thing, different language. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets. By the way, I like this one better because what's my hobby? Fishing. And he says, come follow me, and we'll fish for people, and we'll change the world. And they leave everything, they follow him. So it's the same thing, saying the same thing. And so how we see this issue, you know, does God choose or we choose? Man, it's how they work together. We do this. We're called to do We're called to invite people to Christ or at least to invite people to your amazing church. So who chooses? Do we choose or does God choose or how does it all work together? I think the answer is both. So great theological minds have wrestled with this for 2,000 years. Let me settle the issue in the four minutes that remain. Here we go. I'm just joking right there. I can't, but here's my best, my best shot. I thought that was funny, but evidently not funny. Here we go. <laughs> I think it works like this. So... Um, I love fishing. Preachers preach about the overflow of their lives. So my, my poor congregation, they've heard more fish stories. We've done themes and series on fish. So a couple years ago, I did a series with a terrible title. It was just entitled Fish. And the title was not created, but my team did on the stage. They're geniuses. So the stage looked like this. They had, they had these giant uh, fish tanks, 600-gallon saltwater fish tanks. They built a stage on top of the stage and had like a LED behind me, like a fish, my fishing rod. And I mean, it was just lights out, creative so compelling as i told those great fish stories of the bible jonah and the well cast your nets on the other side of the boat for a catch of fish all those stories and so i'm preaching and we do a lot of services my kids are there a whole lot they, they they're in the house of god all the time and my youngest at the time he's like six and he would fish in fact i have a picture of zane when he would fish me and he's five or six and he's my little fishing buddy well zane do you have the picture guys they had it before all right there he is there he is that's that's my youngest He's backstage in my office, and on the monitor, he hears me, you know, preaching. And he's with one of my team members, and he said something to my executive pastor, who's a dear friend, Pastor Raul. And my friend put it on Twitter. And it was a Jimmy Kimmel mean tweet. Here's what he put on Twitter. This was something my son said. Why is he talking about fishing? My daddy is horrible at catching fish. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I wasn't mad. I laughed. That was really, really funny. But it hit me later, and I thought, why did he say that? Because every time I took him fishing, I made sure we caught a lot of fish, right? Parents, you want your kids to enjoy fishing. It's not the, the quality. It's not how big. It's how many. You want that rod to bend all the time. They get bored. So I made sure every time we fished, we caught dozens of, like, little tiny fish, little bass, little brim, little snapper, right? I made sure. That, why did he say it? Because every time we go fishing, I make sure he catches dozens of fish. So in my office later on, I say, hey, buddy, what you said to Pastor Raul, daddy's not mad. <laughs> but why did you say that? Because... Buddy, every time we go fishing, we catch a lot of fish. Without skipping a beat, my son said, oh, no, Daddy, we don't catch a lot of fish. I catch a lot of fish. <laughs> I catch all the fish. You catch no fish. I'm a good fisherman. You're a horrible fisherman. I'm like, that little punk. Are you kidding me? Because every parent in the room knows you take your little one fishing like that. Listen, every time he caught the fish, oh, no, I baited the hook. I cast out the line. I waited for the fish to bite. I set the hook. I fought the fish. When the poor fish is exhausted like three inches beneath the surface of the water, then I put the rod and reel in his hands. I helped him reel it to the surface. I took the fish off the hook. I posed for the fish selfie with him, and then I threw the fish back. He caught the fish. It'd be easier to catch the fish if he was not in the way while I was catching the fish. 
Listen, Destiny Church, you have done and continue to do a brilliant job fishing for men. You work, you invite, you pray, you preach, you serve. You do a remarkable job and look at the harvest God has brought to you. I'm so proud of you because you work, you grind, you trust. But hear this, every time a person comes to Christ, it is the Father that catches the fish. We can't save anyone. Every once in a while, someone in my area will find me and say, Pastor David, you saved me. He said, nope, can't do it. I'm the text message. Your church saved me. My church is awesome. Church can't save you. My king can save you. And so listen, I know some of y'all, it's like the whole financial thing. Oh, I can't invite people. That's weird. You got this series coming up called At the Movies? That is so sticky and so fun and so creative, and people love movies. That's a natural connection. And don't be that weird Christian, that obnoxious Christian, but you can invite people. And when you do that and watch someone find one of these seats and one of these services and they hear your pastor speak and they connect the dots and they come to Christ, it's the highest high. I mean, it's the crack cocaine of the spiritual life. It is so amazing. And then if we do that, if we do that together, what does Jesus promise? He promises, well, if we will go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. He says, and lo, I'll be with you always. That had to confuse the disciples. It's one of the dualities. Like, what do you mean always? You're, you're here, Jesus. What, what does it mean? And notice the chronology. Jesus doesn't make the promise back in chapter 4. He did not say, hey, come follow me and fish for men. We'll change the world. And by the way, if you fish for men, I'll be with you always. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Uh, if if you're, you're, you're on the shore and we're in the boat, you're not with us always. If, if you're in Galilee and we're in Jerusalem, you're, you're not with us always. What? But three years later, at the end of his ministry, he said, Lord, I'll be with you always. This time, they didn't understand, but they believed it. Why? Because they'd seen Jesus open blind eyes, seen Jesus heal the lame. They watched Jesus throat punch death on day number three. They thought, I don't get exactly what it means. You're with me always, but I'm buying everything, King Jesus, you are selling right now. So again, what's it mean? Here's a beautiful thing. If you're new to the Word of God, this, this sword is so amazing. It's so living and active. And the whole thing is sacred scripture. So how do we reconcile uh, duality, Old Testament and New Testament? Fair question. The whole thing is God's Word. It's a 66 small book anthology. It's all a single God truth. And so how do we relate the Old Testament, God's Word, with the New Testament, also God's Word? The New Testament, I'm a New Testament believer, is our filter to help us understand what God was doing in the Old Testament. Now this is a part of the sermon for smart people. So look at your neighbor right now. Look at them out. Check them out. Smart people time. Ready? Smart. Stay with me here. This is, this is for the advanced class, 4 o'clock. So if I use the New Testament, understand that promise, that always promise, to help me understand what God is doing in the Old Testament, I see Jesus in the Old Testament, because the New Testament says in Revelation, he's the one who was and is and is to come. He's Alpha and Omega. So he's not mentioned by name, but if you have that discerning eye, believer, you see our king in the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, because he's, he's one unlimited. He's always been, so he can always make that promise to always be with us. Stay with me. More precisely, like, like Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus made everything visible and invisible in all creation. So that means that Jesus is back in Genesis making the universe. More precisely, not to subdivide the Godhead, but it's not really God the Father or God the Spirit who makes the universe. It's God the Son. So Jesus is in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, making everything. That changes the way you view the Bible. So, so in Exodus, no disrespect to Moses, I mean, we call him the deliverer, but who really is the deliverer? Because Jesus made everything so he can manipulate his creative order. So who is the one truly subdividing the Red Sea? It ain't Moses. Moses just had a stick. It was Jesus. So in Exodus, Jesus is also the, 
deliverer. What's the next book? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Thank you, Leviticus. Let's see. Leviticus, he's a God who loves precise and passionate worship. And Numbers is so clear. How do you see Jesus? He leads the people to freedom. He's a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a God of covenant. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. In Joshua, the book of Joshua, it's going to blow your mind. This one is so crystal. In Joshua, remember Joshua's crazy, unorthodox battle plan? March around the city seven times. Are you kidding me? That makes no sense. Who came up with that silly plan? Okay, just before Jericho, there's a small passage in Joshua where he meets a heavenly being called the captain of the host of the armies of the living Lord. Now, you might assume this captain who gives him the plan to march around, you might assume he's an angel. He's not an angel because Joshua falls down and worships him. Other place in the Bible when someone tries to worship an angel because angels are majestic and powerful. Angels say, hey, don't worship me, don't worship me. Yeah, I am awesome, but reserve worship exclusively for God. But the captain allows Joshua to worship him, so the captain is more than an angel. Who's the captain? It's clearly Jesus. They call it a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. That one's so clear. In Judges, I think he's Gideon's guide. In Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, he's the giant killer. First and second Kings, he's the prophet's voice. First and second Chronicles, he's Judah's strength. And Ezra, he's a lawgiver. Nehemiah, a wall builder. And Esther, he's the nation's protector. Job, anybody, anybody here, you lost something or someone you love. And Job, he's a healer and a restorer. In Psalms, he's a rock, a fortress, a shield, a buckler. In Proverbs, he is wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the answer to life's toughest question. In Song of Solomon, he's the author of married love. In Isaiah chapter 9, he's called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Jeremiah, a potter working carefully with the clay. In Lamentations, he heals the broken heart. In Ezekiel, he's seen as a wheel within a wheel. In Daniel, this one will melt your face. In Daniel, it is so clear, he meets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It is so clearly Jesus that a pagan king looks in the furnace. He sees not three men, but four men unharmed. He says, Who's the fourth guy? Why are they okay? And then Nebuchadnezzar says, let's see, quote, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Why do you say that? Because it was the Son of God. Hosea, he's a faithful bridegroom, and Joel, he's seen coming in a swarm of locusts, and Amos, God demands justice, and Obadiah, the judgment of Eden, and um, Jonah, he's a God you best not try to run from. And Micah, he's a shepherd caring for his flock. And Nahum, he humbles the mighty powers. And Habakkuk, he makes my feet like hind's feet and sets me to walk on his high places. And Zephaniah, he's the coming day of the Lord. Haggai, an encourager. And Zechariah, king who comes in peace upon a donkey. And in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he's a God who desires us to worship with sincerity, generosity, and truth. Then just for fun, of course, the New Testament's all wrapped around Jesus. The four Gospels tell the same Jesus story, same information, different perspectives. In Matthew, he's seen as the Jewish Messiah, fulfillment of prophecy. In Mark, he's the Son of Man. In, in Luke, he's the light of the Gentile nations. Now, John's called the beloved disciple. It means he's the best friend of Jesus. And Jesus' BFF just nails me. He said, oh, yes, he's my friend who sticks close to the brother. But he is my Lord, my God, the resurrected King. In Acts, he meets Saul, a.k.a. Paul, on the road to Damascus. Messes that boy up in beautiful and wonderful ways. In Romans, a great justifier. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, giver of spiritual gifts unto the church. In Galatians, a God of grace. Ephesians, a bestower of the full armor of God. In Philippians, a source of life's truest contentment. In Colossians, the head of the body, which is the church, the firstborn from the dead. And back in Genesis, the agent 
of creation. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the one who's coming again. In First and Second Timothy, he dispenses power, love, and a sound mind. In Titus, he's a pastor's friend. In Philemon, a perfect master. In Hebrews, a priest in the order of Melchizedek. In James, a father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow, the source of all good and perfect gifts in your life. In First and Second Peter, meets your every need pertaining to life and godliness. In First, Second, and Third John, he's simply called love. In Jude, the only one able to keep you from falling. And in Revelation. He is the Alpha and Omega, the faithful and true witness, the Lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered, the Lamb who was slain. He's the one that holds seven stars in one hand and seven churches in the other. His face shines like the sun, his voice like mighty waters. And someday, very soon, he's coming again and will bring this whole world back to its climactic conclusion. His name is Jesus. And someday, at the sounding of his name, Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's the one who was and is and is to come. And my great undead king says, Destiny Church, go, go. Y'all go and make disciples. This is too good to keep yourself of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that good stuff I taught you. Not just to know it, but to observe it. And if you do that, lo, I'll be with you. Would you be seated quickly as I wrap this up? I'm two minutes over. I apologize. So last, last, last thought. If you're here right now and don't know this king, this king who promises, I don't even know what that means still, always. Jesus, aren't you always at all places, at all times, through the Holy Spirit? And that's true. But I think what he's saying is if we'll busy ourselves making disciples, leveraging our influence, our network, inviting people, praying for people, he'll show up and show off in our life in a very special way. He'll manifest his power and his presence in a very special way. And as I conclude, I'm just thinking, there's somebody here, you don't know my king, I'd love for you to say yes to Jesus today. I'd like, I'd like to fish for you for a moment. Can I fish for men? Can I fish for you? Here's the only place that beautiful metaphor breaks down. When I catch a fish, I take a fish from a beautiful life into death. When you catch someone for Jesus, you take someone from death to a beautiful life. And so if you don't know my king, I think this would be a brilliant day for you to give yourself by faith to King Jesus. You're like, but Stephen's not here. Yeah, and he's awesome. But Stephen can't save anybody. Jesus can. And I want to invite you to make that your choice today. There's a prayer you can pray. It says in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'd love to lead you in a brief salvation prayer. If you've not given your heart to Christ, what a great time to make that your decision, make that move today. Just take my words, make this your prayer. No need to pray out loud. God's a genius. He can read your mind. Pray this. Pray, um, okay, Jesus. I'm in. I, I want this. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, but I know you're not. I know you kind of set me up because you do love me. And I'm saying yes to all of it. I'm saying yes to forgiveness. I'm saying yes to freedom. I'm saying yes to heaven. I'm saying yes to you. Come into my life. Forgive me my sin. I believe you died on that cross and you arose again. And right now you're saving me because I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together right now because somebody prayed that prayer. Wow. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. 
You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.